How do we continue faithfully to confess and practice our Lutheran faith in a culture of secularism, pluralism, and relativism? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November is the 2017 edition of Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation. You can browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation, 2017 edition. If Jesus Christ gets down off the cross and told me Trump is with Russia... I would tell him, hold on a second, I need to check with the president if it's true. When the dark gets darker, the light's going to get lighter. And people are going to be drawn, not because it's what is similar, but it's what is different. They, in fact, are not Catholic. They are more Roman than they are Catholic. We Lutherans are the true Catholics because we are maintaining the church's historic doctrine and practice. The strength of our faith is not some sort of quality in the heart. It's knowing what God has promised. Wisconsin turkey producers love issues, etc. The real difficult part when it comes to raising our children as Christians in a progressive age is not the theory. The theory is rather easy to come up with, the ideas that stand behind what we do. The real hard part is the day-to-day, the decision-to-decision part of parenting. Often parents have, well, regret over decisions, things that they said, okay, I'm going to let this one slide, only to discover maybe months or years later, that was a bad, bad decision. And it can be the little things. People talk a lot about, well, how early should my child get a cell phone? That's a good question, but once you've made that decision, you've kind of made that decision. The consequences may or may not follow. What about something as simple as, how early shall my daughter be allowed to wear makeup to school or out with her friends? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Wednesday afternoon, November the 29th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Jonathan Fisk joins us for part 10 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. We started out last time talking about modesty. We're going to get to some specifics about modesty and teaching it in this next half hour. Then we're going to spend the remainder of the two-hour stint of Issues Etc. talking about the Christian life. Pastor Will Whedon, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and Pastor Heath Curtis, author of the book Five Things You Can Do to Live a Jesus-Centered Life, will be our guest in the studio. We'll be talking to them about the Christian life. Feel free to join us with your comments, our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org, our Twitter address at issuesetc, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Joining us for part 10 of our series on raising Christian children in the age of secular progressivism, continuing our conversation on teaching modesty, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, host of the radio program called Sharper Iron and author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Jonathan, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Thank you. Last time we spoke, we had to stop short due to time uh, in talking about some practical things, such as what our children are wearing, uh, not only in terms of their clothes, but also in terms of, in the case of the girls, well, I guess of the guys, the other things that go along with it, makeup in this day and age, tattoos and piercings and all of that. Let's start with the one that you may be struggling with, in fact, in your family. And that is your your daughters see your wife 
when you guys are going out on the town putting on makeup, she looks pretty. They want to, too. They want to wear makeup. What do you do about it? Yeah. And I want to just remind the listener that we spent the majority of the time last time trying to establish what a can of worms this thing is. Not just, you know, makeup itself, but what modesty is because it's so much bigger than simply a Sixth Commandment sexual issue, which is the way it is usually painted. It is teaching ourselves that vanity, vainglory, hey, look at me, isn't necessarily good. That this is, in fact, probably hateful and bad insofar as it's entirely selfish. Now, but the trick really then comes down to when how do you how do you practice this? Because you can, I mean, let's just set aside lipstick for a second. We'll come back to that in a moment. But if you if you have a picture of yourself that you put up in your Facebook profile feed, there is no question you're putting it there because it's one that you think makes you look good. And we have to say that that is an immodest thing to do. But do we say, therefore, you as a Christian better put up the ugliest picture you have of yourself, otherwise you're vain and immodest, or else? See, now we've gone down that road of legalism. It's just so easy to go down where we start making up rules in order to keep the rules, right? Rather than recognizing that having been lawbreakers from the beginning with sin dwelling within us, our task now is not to live outside of the world, but to live in the world in a state of repentance where we are facing the challenge of our own immodesty that's there no matter what we do with it and trying to not let it harm our neighbor while serving our neighbor with who we are. So let's again go to a different direction here for just a moment to kind of set up, you know, what do we do to teach the child? If my wife and I are going to go out for, as you say, a night on the town, I don't know if we've ever been able to go out for a night on the town, but we'll go out for a drink, right? And we'll go out for dinner. And she dresses nice, and I dress nice for a reason. And even though within the sinner heart that we both carry, there is no question that, that in some way vanity is at play in this. There is also a goodness there that is created by God, which he calls marriage, which is that I would look upon my wife with attraction and that she would look upon me with attraction. And men and women have differences in how we do this, but there's a physical element to both of us in this. And there is nothing evil about about that reality, about me finding my wife beautiful or her finding me handsome, and about us within the culture in which we live, striving to make that something that we we turn the eye of the one we're committed to. We do that because it's a good thing, and we do that yet recognizing that it's a, a very narrow road in which we're not going to avoid sin as we do it, but we do have our neighbors to think about. And so while my wife wants to turn my eye, she also wants to not become a stumbling block to everybody else that looks at her. And at the end of the day, this is something that you're going to have to decide for yourself where to let the chips fall. As a Christian community, do we certainly want to put into place some some structures, some ideas? Yeah, that's why we're having this conversation, so that we don't go kind of off the deep end on the matter. But there is also a point at which your piety has to be your piety. And, and the place where the rubber hits the road in this then is, so what do you do now that you have, or your wife has, or, or you know, done one particular thing? thing. Let's go to tattoos for a second here. My children see me walking around with a tattoo on my arm because I got one when I was 18 years old and there it is. What happens when at 12, 
14, 17, they start saying, I can't wait till I'm 18 and I, I can get my own tattoo. And let's just say for a moment that you're not one of those who gets legalistic and says Leviticus applies across the board. You recognize that, yeah, in freedom, a Christian can get a tattoo, but you also recognize it can be a mistake if you if you do it wrong, right? How do you begin having that conversation with the child? So, so what I want to say here from the start is that conversation is one that you do on the basis of everything else you have in your relationship with the child, from how you teach them to brush their teeth to how you teach them to pick a place to go to school, right, if, if they're going to go off to college or something like that. It's also something that must be done with grace at the center. Why do you choose to do the right thing as a Christian? Because you're already under the grace of God, and you want to seek to live according to His Word. And then you let the more of the community that's around you, the social structure which are around you inform how you how you go forward with and I, I people aren't going to maybe like this as I say it as Christians we want to have a conservative bent so if we're going out to eat at Applebee's we should be while not necessarily dressed in rags and stinking to high heaven, we should be dressed conservatively compared to the culture around us. We don't want to be leading the dark end of, uh, of, of radicalism in terms of how we reveal ourselves, right? And yet, as a Christian, you know, today, if you go to the beach with your family, can your children wear swimwear that 150 years ago would have been thought of as ungodly and immodest? Well, yes, but should it be the most provocative swimmer that they can find? Well, no. How do you make that decision? Well, you make the decision as a family within the community. And then, now to get it to, to the real place, you have a conversation with your child about all of this. And this is where, Todd, I mean, really, you have to have already been developing a intellectual relationship with your 12 or 14 or 16 year old child in which you both have shown them, look, I'm older than you and I have some wisdom to give you. Brush your teeth. You won't get cavities. And I, I have grace that wants to let you go. My goal is not to contain you. My goal is to help you learn to be wise. And on the basis of that, you begin having conversations about how you, young lady, have a body that will impact young men and older men a certain way. And it's your responsibility to care for yourself, to care for them, and to care for your future husband. And you, young man, have some similar realities that you have to face as well, not to mention which, uh, one of which is the control of your eyes and what you look at and what you let yourself see. Uh, I mean, if that, again, if this isn't a can of worms, let's throw in dyeing your hair. Let's throw in piercing your ears, right? Forget the nose piercing, piercing your ears. Let's throw in Again, we got mentioned tattoos. We met form-fitting clothing. How much skin do you show? Can you have a Facebook profile pic at all? And then dating. Jeez. The, the, the real danger, Todd, is that if you are to say no to one of those things, can't do any of them as a Christian, you're kind of saying no to all of them. And I'm just not sure that you really want to end up where, where that's going. So you got to find a way instead to teach how we live in the midst of the society, judging for ourselves what is what is modest based on the love of neighbor that we have been given in Christ. So it sounds like part of this is that there are things that are going to be appropriate for you and your wife as the kid's parents to do as a married couple, using the example of your wife wearing makeup that you have part of this is teaching your daughters in this case, why it is she's do, why she does what she does and why it may or may not be appropriate for them to do the same as much as they want to be like mom. 
Yes. Well, and, and, and so this is a, this is a great chance to talk about marriage. It's a great chance to talk about my child. Why would you want to be pretty? What is the goal of this? Is the goal to have every man look at you and pursue you? Because that's a dangerous goal right there. Is the goal to find a Lutheran man who is going to be a good and charitable husband to you, to walk with you toward the end of days? Well, hey, this is a good goal. You know, is certainly that's something that we should be working toward pursuing. And that kind of conversation is very important. Before you really even get to the conversation about, you know, why sex is something you shouldn't do before marriage, let's have the goal of being married in the faith and producing Christian offspring for the future because this is a good thing altogether. And then in the context of that bigger reality, say, well, are you ready to be married yet? Well, then you're maybe not ready to try to attract men yet. Now, as you become beautiful and you to blossom as a young woman, this is just going to happen, right? And so you have to gradually take those steps toward, you know, what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. To kind of tangent into that for just a moment, the way that we have handled that, particularly in our house, which I'm not going to say is required for everybody, but it's the way we've tried to handle that is, so I have a child. Let's just let's go off of makeup. I, you know, my daughters have wanted to wear high heels since they were two. It's just insane. I don't I don't understand. And they make high heels for you know five year olds now. So they want these shoes which are designed to make a woman's leg lookable. That's what a high heel is for, right? And so when we talk to the child, rather than just say no, you're not ready to be attracting other men. We go a different direction with that. We start talking about responsibility and accountability. And as you become one who behaves like an adult, now you get to look like an adult. And so these are goals that you can work toward and you actually earn with your behavior and trying to funnel kind of that, that adulthood really as being a goal. And in that the sexuality of marriage as a good gift created by God, the beauty of human humanity and our bodies for each other as created by God as part of that goal, which then within the marriage is underneath this, this broader idea of cultural, communal commitment to each other, man and woman before anything else being a village in a box, right? That, that are given for the sake of producing a village to serve the world. And, and in that picture, then these smaller arguments, they're still annoying. You still have to struggle with them. You're still going to have a, the child wants to go further than they should. You're still going to have to be the authority that says, no, I'm drawing a line now and we're not going to go this far later. But I, I think the ultimate teaching goal in this is not to keep my kid from wearing lipstick just cuz or to keep her even from doing bad things outside the home the goal is to help the child know what it means to be human and seek to be a good human for the sake of the neighbor the man she's gonna marry and the man she's not gonna marry and that goes then for all of us in all of our life and this gets back to modesty being bigger than just sex Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part 10 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. We're talking about modesty. He's author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. He just mentioned two men, the man that your daughter is going to marry and the one she isn't. We'll talk about that after this. Have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. 
Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. Concordia University, Wisconsin is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning. Issuesetc.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. When a Christian woman is critical of her own flesh, she holds her creator in contempt. Rose Adel from her new book, Ladylike Living Biblically. Our Heavenly Father knit us together in the womb. He did not do a bad job. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 14. That goes for everyone, including the one who thinks she's the ugliest of them all. You can purchase and download Concordia Publishing House's new audiobook, Ladylike Living Biblically, at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Old Theology, New Technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Tired of hearing about what you have to do for God? Then come hear what He has done for you. Receive His gifts of life and salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. If you think big screens belong in movie theaters, then you'll be right at home at Faith Lutheran Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. God's powerful saving word needs no gimmicks, so we simply teach the word of God and administer his sacraments. We plant and water while God gives the growth. Faith Lutheran Church of Beaufort, South Carolina, where the Bible is still the word of God and where we still speak the historic Christian liturgy. This is your grandfather's church. Come home. It's tough to be Lutheran in America these days. Our families, our schools and churches, even our most deeply held beliefs and values are under fire. We need unchanging truth in a world full of confusion. The Lutheran Witness magazine can help. For less than a quarter a day, get the best of Lutheran reflection on faith and life, theology and culture delivered monthly right to your mailbox. Learn more at cph.org witness. The Lutheran Witness. Interpreting the Contemporary World from a Lutheran-Christian Perspective. Well, I went out catting on a Saturday night. I was just a kid I was looking for a fight. Looked in the mirror and to my surprise. So hot chick that I really look right. I'm dragging, dragging down main Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Part 10 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Continuing our conversation on modesty. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. Author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Find a link to this great book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen on Demand or call Concordia Publishing House any weekday during regular business hours, 1-800-325-3040, and ask for Pastor Jonathan Fisk's book, Broken. Jonathan, before the break, you talked about two men, the man that your daughter is going to marry and the one that she isn't going to marry. Much of what you've said so far in all of these conversations in this series, even when not dealing with modesty, has to do with preparing your children to grow up and and marry. That's a good thing Hmm. uh, to be mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. What did you mean by making the distinction between those two men? Well, again, it gets back to this idea that beauty is a creation of God that includes the human body and that there is a goodness there Period. Our sin, which you can call it carnal if you want, although interesting, notice how the word carnal kind of implies that the body is bad, because carne, that's flesh, right? 
the carnal sin within us has turned the beauty of the human body into an object to be used for my own personal pleasure, as opposed to simply to be received as a gift when and where that gift is given. And so in this, teaching a child to, and this goes, again, we mentioned the man she's going to marry, the one she's not going to marry. This goes also for the, the son, you know, the woman he's going to marry, the woman he's not going to marry, to understand that there is beauty there in who we are. It's possible, not just possible, it is normal and healthy for you to believe that a beautiful woman or a medium beautiful woman is beautiful or medium beautiful is healthy as a young lady to want to be that. What's unhealthy, as we just heard that bit from uh, the Ladylike book, right, is to is to believe that somehow you you are not created beautiful the way that you are at all. Although, look at what makeup is is by definition part of that, right? Uh, it, it it's not healthy to reject who you are, and it's not healthy to strive to be only a sexual object. But it is healthy to recognize that this beauty is here. The problem is we can't be healthy. <laughs> we are. And to pull the language from from Luther, uh, we are simul justus et peccator. We are, we are simultaneously righteousified in Jesus, which includes a faith that loves the law and wants to keep it, and we are at the same time peccable, right? The opposite of impeccable. We are peccable. We are incorrigible. We are unbelievers from the heart. And so, uh, let's just say a Christian man, young boy, uh, let's put him 18 years old, and he's at youth group, and there's five girls there, there is a healthy good thing, which is, I think she's pretty, I think she's pretty, I think she's pretty. And right there with him, close as the shadow at his right hand, is, I'm lusting after her, I'm lusting after her, I'm lusting after her. What the young man needs to learn to do is not so much distinguish the two as if he can stop one and not have the other, but to put a self-control marker on his mind, on his mouth, and on his body so that he strives to not harm them with his desires, and while at the same time sees that there is a healthy part of that desire, which is to commit to marry, procreate with, and die with one of them, potentially, right? Uh, one of them in this bond of holy matrimony. And, and so th- there are, within the community, we, modesty is learning, I think, modesty is, is learning and then teaching to own that simul reality, which sees both the good of what the human body is, but then also recognizes how dangerous we have made this thing by making an idol that then quickly devolves into the objectification of sexuality. And so, for my daughter, I want her to understand that of all the young men that she's going to meet out there, there is, God willing, only one that she will marry. And so, she is. She needs to be free in the gospel to embrace her beauty as a flower created in God's field, and at the same time, she wants to respect those men that she will not marry, not lead them into deep temptation and despair even over over not maybe turning her eye in the other direction and in this also respecting them to respect herself this then comes down to in some ways a sense of self-awareness about who you are created to be which is different for men and women and yet it's there for both of us as actors i don't know if that's the right word but as players on the stage the stage of life in which as americans we really can't escape 
the, the narcissism, the vanity that, that we're driven to with all of the, the Google and the photos and all this other stuff that's around us. There's a goodness to these things too, but they're, they're wicked even as they are good because we have abused them and, and really must do so. We can't leave the world though. We can't escape from it. Instead, we must embrace self-awareness, repentance, self-control, and striving to put the good of the neighbor above my own needs, even while we fail constantly under grace. Okay, so you here's one that has, has, for some reason, become kind of a shibboleth of whether or not you really get the gospel or something. Let's talk about piercings and, and, uh, and tattoos. They're obviously not the same thing, but they often kind of fall into the same category. Uh, I have no personal problem with someone getting a tattoo in principle, but there are tattoos people shouldn't get. There are tattoos mm-hmm. Christians shouldn't get, and there are tattoos that are self-mutilation and not whatever it is a tattoo is supposed to be. I don't know because I don't have one, uh, but but when someone says, is it wrong for a Christian to get a tattoo? In principle, no, but that but. That's just the beginning of the conversation. Mm. And I think like the apostle, we need to say, but it may be for you wrong yeah. to do. Yeah. So as one who's I, got one, when your daughter or son comes to you, says, I want one too, how does that conversation go? Yeah. I'd like to recapture a different way of talking about such things. Right and wrong isn't always the helpful way to, to frame it. How about wise and unwise? And, and that can move from time to time based on your age, your location, and what you're actually doing with it. So the first thing I say to, let's take, I've actually had this conversation with a youth group, a bunch of 18-year-olds. Pastor, is it is it okay for me to get a tattoo? I said, well, you're free in the gospel too after you're 24. You know, because before then, your brain doesn't work in such a way to really understand the ramifications of what this reality means. And you're very likely to put on your body something that you don't really want on your body after all. Taking that further into what you mentioned, you know, mutilation. And this is kind of the fine line that it, it has, in a sense, moved with culture. What is the difference between self-mutilation and self-adornment? I remember being told by a, a Roman Catholic doctor... Actually, she told my wife this, that getting a piercing that wasn't in your ears was self-mutilation, and so you shouldn't do it. And my question immediately is, well, what about the ones in your ears? Why is it okay to mutilate my, my your ears at this point, right? What's the issue there? So th- that line can move a little bit, but there are, as you say very well, there there are things that we simply should not do. And part of that is then, so in the culture in which I live, if I go ahead and put a, a piercing through my eyelid that runs back to my head where I run spikes of metal that are drilled into my skull across my head, that's kind of mutilation. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say it's not. And that's, again, judging amongst the culture. Could I conceive of an alien world in which we all live, in which everybody looks like that and it's not mutilation anymore? I guess so. It's kind of weird, you know, maybe, but we're not there. We're not there now. When it comes to the tattoo, a a big part of this is, I mean, what is the tattoo? It's sort of makeup that's permanent. It really is meant as an identification marker. It says something about your story. It says something about who you believe yourself to be. And so I've seen people who get a tattoo on them that is a confession of their faith, and they'll actually walk you through the story of Jesus Christ by pointing to the picture that's on their forearm. And then I've seen people get a tattoo that that is, you know, a raucous demon, you know, drooling 
stumbling over a, a naked woman or something, you know, like that. And it's like, okay, well, this doesn't really say who you are in Jesus, and this person wasn't necessarily a Christian. So there's there with the tattoo, it's almost like dealing with what do you wear on your T-shirt, right? What do you say with the with the clothing that you wear as a message? Now you're getting into the media being the message and all that kind of stuff. None of this is easy, and it comes back to. Let's get out of the the conversation about right and wrong, and let's get into the conversation about wise and unwise. Let's recapture that the Proverbs are there for us to learn how to walk. Let's recapture that James is there not to tell us how to justify ourselves, but to tell us how to live as black and white people in a world that's very, very gray. Uh, let's, let's go back to Ecclesiastes and remember the fading nature of this age. And yet there is a goodness of vocation that endures in it. And, and let's take and apply those realities to these questions of, so my daughter says, can I get a tattoo? I mean, you want to give my real answer, Todd is yes, when you're 24, but I want to have a say in what it is. And the reason is I want her to preserve her beauty, her integrity, her self-respect and her faith through the process. But I'm not going to tell her the Bible says you can't do it because it doesn't say that. I'm going to reserve that law for where the law really is. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Let's let's go to the Ten Commandments and draw the hard lines there and then try to walk as those who are wise in a dying and perishing age while we answer these questions about what it looks like on the ground and as we try to teach our children to do likewise. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. A few more minutes with him on the other side of the break. Part 10 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. We're talking about modesty. We will talk a little bit more about how this is taught to our children from the very beginning, even before they are asking to wear the short skirt or the tattoo or the piercing. Stay tuned. Pastors are the ones who are getting in the way of what the Spirit wants to do. Pastor Chris Rosebro speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The Spirit really wants to take the church and supercharge it and cause this worldwide global renewal to occur and for billions of souls to be harvested for Jesus. But your pastor, your pastor wears clerical collars. You sing hymns. You're out of date. You're in the way of the Spirit. So give way. Get those old wineskins out, and it's time for the new wineskins to come in. You can listen to Pastor Rose Bro's teaching, Making the Case Against Modern Day Prophets and Apostles, on an audio DVD from the 2017 Making the Case conferences. We'll send it to you for a year-end donation of $300. Issuesetc.org. Click the audio DVD. LCMS Rural and Small Town Mission exists to support and encourage congregations in rural and small town settings. In partnership with LCMS districts, RSTM is uniquely positioned to make a major impact in revitalization support, community engagement and outreach training, congregational partnership development, and worker support through providing and developing resources geared specifically to rural and small town congregations. Check us out at lcms.org front RSTM or give us a call at our office. We're here to help. Orphan Grain Train is the Lutheran Federal Credit Union Ministry of the Month. 
During November, if you open a Lutheran FCU loan to meet your financial needs, or if you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to Orphan Grain Train. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. Good for you. Good for the church. LutheranFCU.org. Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Do you want your neighbors and community to see what you're celebrating this Christmas season? Why not display an outdoor nativity in front of your home or your church? It's a great way to show others what Christmas is all about, the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. Check out the Outdoor Nativity Store at OutdoorNativityStore.com. Durable, affordable, and American-made nativities, OutdoorNativityStore.com. OutdoorNativityStore.com. Memoria Press now offers six levels of the Simply Classical curriculum for students with special needs. These full-year curriculum packages for children with learning challenges enable you to teach reading, writing, arithmetic, art, poetry, science, history, Latin, literature, and Christian studies with incremental classical methods. Visit classicalspecialneeds.com and enter promo code LPR17 to save on resources for your home or school. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. Our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism and teaching modesty. The conversation continues. Pastor Fisk, before the break, you had said something. I'm sure our listeners, some of our listeners at least said, now wait a minute. When you said the Bible doesn't say anything about uh, not having tattoos, there is a passage, of course, in Leviticus 19, where it talks about cutting yourself for the dead or making tattoo marks on yourself. Uh, how do you deal with that one? Right. Well, it, you recognize that Leviticus is a book that was written first for the Hebrews as a total cultural establishment with three types of law in it, including spiritual law or law that you would use for worship, moral law, law that's right and wrong no matter what, and then cultural law, rules for how you live as a community, and that we have to distinguish between those things as we look at the book. Otherwise, we end up having to say some other things, which nobody's quite willing to say, like you can't eat shellfish and all your clothing has to be made of one type of thread. So if you're going to say you can't have tattoos, you do have to take that position, that the entire book of Leviticus needs to be kept, including, by the way, making sacrifices at the Ark of the Covenant, which you're going to have some trouble finding. So you got this Old Covenant, New Covenant thing going on and recognizing that the law that we take as moral law is is in the, the Leviticus it's certainly there in the 10 commandments but it is also brought back to the to the fore by the new testament we're going to find clear passages in the new testament so where where the new testament tells us not to worship foreign gods not to to practice pagan practices look if if going to get a tattoo at the tattoo parlor was part of a, a ritual leading up to cutting yourself for the dead and making offerings to pagan gods and that's how the culture viewed it so they looked at you too. Oh, there's a there's a guy who worships Moloch. Okay, well then we probably shouldn't do it. You know, it's pretty straight up at that point. We don't live there now, and so again, we're under some freedom when it comes to shellfish, and if you want to cook your steak medium rare and eat some pork, right, if you like your bacon, things like that. Acts and Romans and Galatians, they're, they're all about that reality. 
what it comes down to then again, if I can just say this here to kind of to close up, when First Corinthians 11 deals with this really confusing little bit about head coverings, I'm convinced he's talking about just this kind of issue. Modesty is an issue where we need to understand that man and woman were created by God in a certain way. That's chapter 11, verse 3. I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. But we're not independent of each other. Verse 11, kind of skipping past a little bit of the confusing part. In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. We're made from and for each other. So how do we handle these issues of modesty as they come up and when they're not commanded by the Lord? This is verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? In your context, what does it say? If she uncovers her head, does it say she's a prostitute? Then she's got to cover her head. If she has short hair, is it going to say she's a prostitute? Well, then you probably don't want to have short hair. If you're going to get a tattoo, does it say you're a pagan? Then you probably don't want to get a tattoo. But ultimately... Last part of that verse there, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we don't have a practice on head coverings, nor do the churches of God, Paul says. And this is what a number of lipstick, Facebook profiles, you don't have a thus saith the Lord. What you have instead is the pursuit of modesty as a virtue for which you are created to be man and woman in Christ and man and neighbor with neighbor, to seek the good of the other and let that be your driving factor and that be the thing you teach your children to seek all the while under the grace, knowing that it's paid for. You're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't issue any guarantees when you're raising kids. It's just nothing's guaranteed. Uh, But how much of this can be taught from the very beginning simply by both father and mother modeling this for their children as well? Not only explicitly teaching when the teaching needs to be done with real words and specific situations, but showing this forth in their lives all the way from the beginning. Well, I mean, this, yes, narcissism rubs off on people. Selfishness rubs off on people. You'd like to think that in equal measure, being kind and gentle rubs off. Well, you know, we have this nature working against us. But but here's the thing. A, a child that lives with parents who engage with them as people who themselves need grace and seek the good of other is eventually going to reflect that reality. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as it says. Patterns and habits of culture within the family are going to become patterns and habits. This is why it's so hard to leave behind the bad patterns, the baggage, we call it, right, of a, of a family that is in a in a kind of a toxic situation. But so, yeah, modeling, doing, doing what you believe. And True enough, they might rebel against it, set some boundaries. When they're older, are they going to remember what you taught? Yes, and some of it might even come out again. What you really want to do, though, is not just have the model be all that it is, but let them know why you're modeling it. Let them know where these words come from. Show them that the scriptures do have a truth that is bigger than the culture and never passes away, and establish that in conversation with your children, which honestly, I mean, if you're not going to have a conversation with your children, you're only going to teach them your behavior, and I don't think any of us really, really want that. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of a radio show called Sharper Iron. He's author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often as Possible. Jonathan, it's always a pleasure, and thank you very much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. When we come back, we're going to spend some time talking about the Christian life. One of the, one of the myths about Lutherans is that they don't have a lot to say about the Christian life. They don't necessarily have much to say because, well, their theology deals only with being saved. And then once you're saved, it kind of runs automatically after that. Is that true? 
We're going to talk about the Christian life with Pastor Will Whedon and Pastor Heath Curtis for the remainder of the program right after this. transported back into the town of Bethlehem and hear the townspeople talk of the special night when Mary and Joseph arrived, the star appeared above, and Jesus' birth. Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Chesterfield invites you to a nativity drama Friday evening, December the 1st from 6 to 8, and Saturday and Sunday afternoon, December the 2nd and 3rd from 2 to 5. Handicapped accessible. Call 636-532-0400. Free of charge. Appropriate for all ages. Comfort, comfort ye my people. For unto us a child is born. Good news of great joy. The titles of Christ. The Magnificat. These are some of the Christmas card themes produced by Ad Crucem. Send a greeting card this Christmas season that's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. AdCrucem.com. Confessing the faith through art and word. AdCrucem.com. A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Spiritual and religious. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.